Amen and good morning. I want to give our children, kindergarten through fourth grade, the opportunity to be a part of kids' worship this morning. Uh, Pastor Ben's leading the way, and you can be a part of that if you have your parents' permission. Go and and, uh, have a great time this morning in the Kids' Center. As they're making their way, I want to echo what Pastor Ben said about this past weekend and what these students that went with us said. We had a great time getting to know them even better and hearing what God was doing in their lives And, and, you know, they hear us preach and teach quite often, but seldom do we get a chance just to sit around the table like that and talk about, hey, here's how God is at work. Here are things that he's doing in your life. Here's how you guard against what the enemy wants to do in your life. Here's how you can embrace God's best. But really, we could have sat back and taken notes on the things that they shared with us, things like don't settle for less than God's best. You know, we, we we had a great time this weekend, and God is... Um, working in these young people's lives. It's just a privilege to be a part of it. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. We're looking at the last message in this series. Can you believe it? For those of you who have been here throughout the entire series, uh, we have looked at Matthew's Gospel. And some of you that might uh, be a guest today or just for the past couple of weeks are wondering, well, chapter 25 is not the last chapter. We actually skipped ahead and looked at the cross and the resurrection, and we came back to look at these passages concerning the return of Christ, which I believe is very imminent. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, under this series of royalty, reminds us that of all these things that we've received, all these things that we've learned, everything that royalty is, now it's time to do something with it. It's time to do something with it. So I'm going to begin reading with verse 14. It says, for it's just like a man. He's speaking of the kingdom here, and he says, it's just like a man going to, uh, on, on a journey. He called his own slaves or servants, and he turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey, and immediately the one who had received five talents went and put them to work. And earned five more, in the same way the one who had received two earned two more. But the one, that man who had received one talent, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've I've earned five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Same message. Five talents, two talents. Same commendation. Then the one who'd received one talent approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, 
And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Then he said, throw this good-for-nothing slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, this does seem like a hard word. But I pray we would receive it as a challenging responsibility today. That we would realize to whom much is given, much is required. And your grace is much. It is glorious. We pray that you would help us to take these principles of the kingdom that we've been looking at for some time now and be good stewards. For the glory of God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, March Madness is over now, and some are kind of watching the NBA Finals. Some are trying to figure out if the Hawks are the real deal or not. And, and I haven't watched a lot of NBA basketball in my time, but I've noticed something uh, a little bit different in the game between NBA and college. Uh, and that is that even though they have less time to shoot the ball when they get it, they're more likely to get a shot off. I find that interesting. How many times you're watching a college basketball game or a high school basketball game and you're frustrated they make a trip down court and they don't even get the shot off? I remember one particular uh, national championship game where uh, Carolina was playing Michigan and Michigan had the ball and called a timeout when they didn't have one left. They had an opportunity to, to shoot a winning shot and they didn't even get the shot off. Nothing's more frustrated than watching your team come down the court and they've got a chance to win the game or tie the game. And it's not that they missed the shot. It's not that they made a great effort. It's not that they, they threw up a full court shot that went around the world. Not that they missed a layup. It's that they didn't even get a shot off. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. You, didn't even, you had the ball and you didn't even get a shot off. You weren't watching the shot clock. You weren't paying attention. Nothing to me is more frustrating with that. It's like, you know, for some of you, you can really, like, like coaching that, that t-ball game and the kid gets that ground ball for the first time and he's, he's so excited that the ball is in his glove and he don't even know what to do with it. He, you're like, throw it to first, throw it to second, run it in, just run home because they're rounding the bases, whatever you have to do. And, and, and he's so excited and sometimes we're like that in our faith. We don't realize that the ball's in our court. We don't realize the ball's in our hands and that the time is ticking and we're not being good stewards of our time and all that God has placed into our hands. I remember watching my, my favorite Christmas movie, some of you know, is It's a Wonderful Life. And, and there's the scene where uh, George and Mary are, are walking after uh, the, the social that they had had there at the high school. And, and, uh, and they're walking along, and he's talking to her, and he just, as the old man whose yard they have stopped in front of says, they're just yapping. And, and, and he's saying, you're yapping, yapping. And, and finally the old man says, why don't you kiss her? And George Bailey's like, what? You know, he's trying to figure this whole thing out. And, and, and the, remember what the old man said? He said, ah, youth is wasted on all the wrong people. <laughs> and I thought, it may not be the, the opportunity for you this morning to seize romance, 
But sometimes God has given us youthful energy. God has blessed us with something, and it's not being used for his glory. We're not doing anything with it. This morning I want to challenge you. Do something with it. We've learned in Matthew's Gospel that Christ began establishing his kingdom in the hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls who trust in him. We've also learned that his kingdom is still coming in its fullness one day. And so we're to be at work applying kingdom principles. We're to be about seeking first Matthew 6, which is also going to be our theme for Kids Camp this summer. We're to be about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that if we'll seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto to us. God will take care of the rest in our life. All those things we would worry about because Matthew 6 is a passage about not worrying. And so all those things we would worry about are, are you know, is this going to happen? Is this going to take place? Some, maybe some of the things we talked about with these young people like uh, getting married one day, getting a job, where are we going? Seek first the kingdom. All these things will take care of the rest. So we, we have that mindset now with Matthew's gospel in mind. And we think about verse uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16 in chapter 5. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. So we're to be influencers impacting this world, taking the kingdom principles, not only in Matthew's gospel, but in all of Scripture, and living them out, fleshing them out. So there's that already not yet aspect of the kingdom. We're living as citizens of the kingdom in this life. And in doing so, we realize that Jesus told his disciples, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And and a lot of that is to unleash heavenly authority in this world, making a difference in people's lives for the glory of God. And here's a parable reminding us that Jesus is coming again, and he's going to hold us accountable with for what we've done with what he's given us. And he's reminding us that he's made us stewards. He's put something in our hands that really belongs to him. And the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the people and all who dwell in it. So everything in this world belongs to God. And he says, As your master, I'm making you stewards of these things. And so there are some principles of stewardship we need to embrace so that when he comes again, we're found faithful. Remember what we saw last week? We're not supposed to bog down spending all our time trying to figure out when he's coming. We're supposed to assume that his coming is imminent. And when he comes, and by the way, he could call any of us home before he returns. When we meet him face to face, we're going to have to give an account. What did you do with what I gave you? What'd you do with it? So this morning I'm saying do something with it. Here's the first principle, responsibility. A a steward is to be found faithful. A steward is to be responsible with what they have been given. We all receive a stewardship from our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Remember, we're called to do something. We're called to go and make disciples that's part of our stewardship we received the great commission before he ascended he he equipped his disciples and talked about networking the gospel to all nations so we receive that stewardship to do something for the glory of god and this is a great responsibility if you go back to verse 14 here he says it is just like this man 
going on a journey. It's a picture of the ascension of Christ. Called his own slaves. Some translations say servants there. He turned over his possessions. And he gave them five talents, two talents, and one talent to these three servants, these three stewards. A talent in that day would be the equivalent to, some scholars say, about $700,000 today. Now, if I walked up to uh, CJ over here and I said, I'm giving you $700,000, you think you could do something with it? Probably so. I bet he could do something. All of you are saying, hand it to me. I can do something with it. I can think of a thing or two I could do with that. But they knew they were going to be held accountable. And so so this is a big stewardship because you had one who was given five of those talents. Uh, You have one who was given two and one who was given one to invest in the master's work. Keep that in mind. Investing in the master's work for the sake of the master. So what has he given us? What has the master given us? Let me give you about three things if you're writing these down this morning under responsibility. He's given us the gospel. He's given us the gospel. See, even though he uses monetary imagery here, this is not primarily a passage about money. Context tells us that the money kind of represents the word of God and the spirit of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given us the gospel. Within, in this context, if you read the parable before this parable, the parable of the ten virgins, it's a description of the Holy Spirit not being in their lives and at work in their lives when Jesus returns, which led to all kinds of problems. And then following the parable of the ten virgins, you have the parable of the sheep and the goats and the separation. Some had received the gospel others had kind of an outward conformity and they weren't the real deal there's coming a day when there's going to be the separation of the goats when and the sheep when we look at this chapter we realize that what we're primarily to be stewards over is the gospel of the kingdom what did you do do with the gospel in other words i've given you the gospel of the kingdom i've given you the good news of the kingdom that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, he rose again. He came to make all things new. He's establishing his kingdom in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls. He wants to li- you to live your life on purpose for his glory. You have that message. You have that news. You have that gospel. He is sending his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. What are you doing with this gospel? Did we internalize it? And did we, did we invest in it? So there is a financial aspect, but did we internalize it? Did, when Jesus returns, will we have been the real deal? Does Jesus really live inside of us? Have we internalized the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or are you a religious phony? You've kind of gone through the motions, you've got religion, you go to church, you, you try to keep the Ten Commandments, all the outward things. Have you internalized it? And then if you have, are you investing in it? Are you seeking to seek first the kingdom and get the gospel to the nations? 
Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation for who? All who will believe. All who will believe. He said, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. That's all of us. And so this gospel we're to be stewards of is to go out. We've got to be held accountable one day for what we did with Jesus. Did we receive or reject the message of the gospel? And then did we invest our lives in the resources God has blessed us with in taking this gospel message to the nations? We will be held accountable for that. But let's go a little bit further than the gospel. Let's look at godliness. You say, what are you talking about, godliness? I'm talking about the fact that when he went on a journey is a picture of the fact that Jesus himself would ascend. Jesus gave us a promise that when he would ascend, that he would send what? The Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send another. The language there means another of the same kind. Everything that I am, the Holy Spirit's going to be. The Holy Spirit, it's not like, you know, for you Star Wars geeks, I mean, Star Wars fans, it's not like, you know, may the force be with you. The Spirit of God is the person of Jesus Christ. It, 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 just as the Christ and the Father are one, so is the Spirit in Christ. We have the very omnipresence of God through His Spirit that comes not only to, to be among us, but to live within us and do in and through us what we can never do in and of ourselves. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And by working out, he's not talking about like in math where you're working out a problem. He's not saying figure out whether or not you're saved. He's saying because God has invested that in you, you work it out. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we know that we are saved by grace. Say that again, saved by grace through faith. That's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works lest anyone should boast right we can't go around bragging well i was good enough to be saved and you weren't because we're all saved by grace but a lot of times we stop right there in the evangelical church and say i'm saved by grace man i'm glad i'm saved by grace and grace becomes a license for all kinds of things and we forget that there's a verse 10 that says we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works so god saved us we're not godly because of who we attain to in and of ourselves godliness is something god did in us by grace but he says now you are a steward of that and so we have books like galatians telling us we need to be walking in the spirit and not according to the flesh because we're the steward of the godliness that god has blessed us with and so we've got to steward that how are we living that out in our lives second peter chapter one and verse three says his divine power His divine power, that's the Spirit of God now living in us, has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. So God has given us everything. What are we doing with everything that we need? What what are those things that we need? We need the Spirit of God. We need the Word of God. We need not only the Gospel, but we need every verse of Scripture, every prompting of the Holy Spirit that helps us to walk faithful and stay close to jesus and stay clean and to live the kingdom principles out so that the world may see our good works and glorify our father in heaven right we need all of that and peter says you've got it when you came to faith in jesus christ the spirit of god came to live inside of you now ephesians tells us that we're 
to be continually being filled with the Spirit. We're to yield ourselves to the Spirit. But through Jesus Christ, you have everything you need for life and godliness. What are you doing with it? Are you being good steward of the godliness? Are you saying, you know what, I'm really not looking out for my character so much these days? The gospel, godliness, and finally, what most of us think of when we see the word talents are gifts. God has given us spiritual gifts. It's the passage, if you want to turn there, it's in in Romans chapter 12. It's one of about four passages that discuss the spiritual gifts. But I just want to use this one as an example. Starting with verse 6, it says, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Everybody that's a part of the body of Christ, everybody in the family of God has been giving at least one spiritual gift. Something that God has supernaturally enabled you to do something with. And what is Paul saying to the church at Rome here in Romans chapter 12? He's saying, do something with it. <laughs> and, and he gives you some examples here. And by the way, because the, the various lists in the New Testament concerning spiritual gifts are different, everything that's in one list is not necessarily in another list. And Peter sums it all up by saying two things. Some of you have speaking gifts and some of you have non-speaking gifts. Anybody here feel like you got a non-speaking gift? Anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah, I'm one of those. Um, yeah, some of you are like, I've got speaking gifts, man. You, you, you can put me up in front of people. And so Peter just kind of sums it up. So we see by the various lists of the gifts that no list is an exhaustive list. And what I mean by that is you may not find your particular area of giftedness right there in the Bible. There may be something else. Somebody say, you know, you're, you're a, a very gifted worship leader. I don't see that one in the Bible. It must not be a spiritual gift. But I know that Jeff is a gifted worship leader. I want him to do something with, and he is doing something with that gift. So he gives examples. If it's prophecy, then use it according to the standard of faith. If service, then in service. What are you saying? If your gift is service, then serve. Roll up your sleeves. Get to work. If it's in teaching, then teach. If it's in exhortation, then exhort. If it's in giving, then with generosity. If it's leadership, lead with diligence. If it's in mercy, show mercy. Show it with cheerfulness. So, so if you've got a gift, what is he saying? Do something with it. Get busy with it. Don't let those gifts that he's given you not be used for his glory, but incorporate them in the work of the kingdom. You know, life is a vapor. We have a very short opportunity to invest what God has blessed us with. All that he has invested in us through the gospel, through the spirit of God, through the gifts that come with that, we have a very short period of time to invest that. I remember being on uh, our youth group used to do trips when I was a teenager to Panama City Beach, Florida. You can hardly go down there anymore, right? But we, we picked up, uh, I picked up a, a handful of sand on Panama City Beach when I was young, and I was trying to fathom that whole thing about your life being like a vapor. And, and as all the grains of sand sifted through my hand, I tried to just get it to where I was only holding on to one grain of sand. And I thought later about how the fact, uh, think about this, this will blow your mind. If you stacked grains of sand from here to the moon. Your life compared to eternity 
is infinitely smaller than that grain of sand compared to all the rest of the sand. (laughs) All the sand on all the beaches and all the world stacked to the moon. Your life is infinitely shorter than that. We have a small opportunity to make all the difference in the world. Do something with it. Do something with it. That's a responsibility. They received a responsibility. But secondly, I want you to see that they received a reward. Received a reward. Now, sometimes rewards are good. Sometimes rewards are not so good, right? Here's the reward. We will be held accountable for what we do with what God has given us. Look back at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves. I think it's interesting that it says a long time. It means probably they had gotten to the place where they were wondering if he was coming back. It's kind of where our world is today. It's Jesus coming back. But he came and he did settle accounts. The master is coming and he's coming to settle accounts. And you know that some, uh, two of these three that were mentioned were found faithful. And so as the first one presents the five talents back, his master in verse 21 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what all of us want to hear in our lives is the master say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were, you were faithful in a few things. Yeah, you know, well over three or four billion dollars he was faithful with. I don't call that a few things. But he was faithful. And he says, I can put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. God is all about us getting in on what he's doing. And when we begin to get in on what he's doing, those things that bring pleasure to the heart of God will begin to be those same things that bring joy into our lives. When people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, when people are using their gifts, when people are growing in his grace, those things that please God will begin to please us, and we will find great joy in seeing the fruit of that. That will be part of our reward, not only the commendation from heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, but the, the sharing in the joy. And ultimately, there's a picture of heaven in view here where we hear the well done of God and we enter into eternity to get in in the eternal kingdom, starting with the millennial reign of Christ on this earth, then the new heaven and new earth, getting in on all that God has for us, being steward over many things because we were faithful with a few. So there's a great opportunity. The same thing was said to the other servant in verse 23. He, He started with two talents. He invested and brought back an additional two. Same thing, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Some of us have forfeited our joy in our walk with Christ. I don't think it's something we have to wait till we get to heaven for, right? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Christ has invested his Spirit with us when we are good stewards of the Spirit-filled life. Out of that comes love and joy and peace. And and so we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to share in our master's joy. We experience it right now by walking with him and investing those gifts that he has poured into us into the kingdom of God. So we have this great opportunity. Why are many not rewarded with greater opportunities? It's because we haven't been faithful with the opportunities he's already given us. Not faithful with the small things so that God can make us steward over many. When I was first sensing God's call 
to the ministry. We had an evangelist come to preach here at Trinity. His name was Dave Ripley. I don't know if anybody here remembers that. He was a staff evangelist for Bellevue Baptist Church where Dr. Adrian Rogers was pastor at the time. Dave Ripley, in the midst of preaching revival, pulled aside and, and met with a handful of us preacher boys that felt called into the ministry. And, and I don't remember a lot of things he said to us, but I remember one thing he said to us. He said, never forget that before David battled Goliath, he was faithful on the backside of the desert herding sheep. He said, before he slew Goliath, he was faithful to protect those sheep from a lion and from a bear. And, and, and Dave Ripley looked at us and said, Fellas, be willing to wrestle the lions and the bears before you tackle the giants. If you're faithful in the small things, God will make you steward over many. And young people, if you can't be faithful with the small things, don't expect God to give you the big things. Say, man, I want God to do something wonderful in my life. Have you done your chores? I want God to use me in a mighty way. Is your homework finished? No, but I want to do great things for God. What about that first job that you get? Is it is important? Respecting your parents. See, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do in order to do, do it heartily, whatever you do, do it with all your heart, passionately unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. So there's no job that God has given you that's too small. And so start with the small things. The reward's not always glorious. Here's what you don't want to hear. Verse 26. Verse 26. His master replied to him, This is the one who buried his talent. Didn't use it. Master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown, gather where I haven't scattered then you would have deposited the money with the bankers. Evil, lazy slave. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. He comes back in, in verse 30. Look at this phrase here. And throw this good-for-nothing, this good-for-nothing slave into outer darkness. It, it's the word there for good, something that, 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 that's valuable, and then all of a sudden you have the negative prefix, the, the Greek alpha, that, that small little A there that says nothing. Good for nothing. Good for nothing. They used to say pastors were paid to be good and deacons were good for nothing. Well, I don't believe that. God has said you're good for something. But if we're not investing in it, all the goodness he's given us becomes what? Nothing. We become good for nothing. That's the reward. Finally, I want you to see this, and this is a word that the math students probably will appreciate here. It's not a word I use often in my vocabulary, but I saw it in this text. Not, not the word in the text, but the concept, the principle, and that's reciprocity. He's like, what is reciprocity? <laughs> comes from the word reciprocal, the fact that that God can turn our fractions upside down. And when we give God the little that we feel like we have, he does big things with it and turns it upside down and blesses us. A good steward discovers something, and that is when you begin to invest in the kingdom, you can't outgive God. 
When you begin to invest in the kingdom, you can't outgive God. Not only did they receive greater responsibilities, they received more to invest. And so he, God being the wise investor that he is, he says in verse 28, take from the talent, take the talent from the one who didn't do anything with it, give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more and will have more than enough. In other words, when we're faithful with what God has given us and we invest it, God says, I'm going to give you more to invest. He he turns our fractions upside down. What little we feel like we give, he makes it something awesome. Luke 6 and verse 38 puts this law of reciprocity this way. Give and it will be given unto you. Press down, full measure, press down, shaking together, running over. You can't outgive God. You begin to invest. You begin to seek to be a blessing to the kingdom. You begin to pour your life in the kingdom. You using your godliness, using your spiritual gifts. You're, you're investing all that God is financially. You begin to invest in spiritual things and, and the gospel in the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, you become a channel, and God says, "You know what? I can trust them. I'm just going to give them more because they're a channel of blessing." And God is a wise investor, and He just wants to keep giving and keep giving. A lot of us have gifts that we use in a lot of places. But the last place we think of using is the kingdom of God, and those gifts are never fully realized. Those abilities are never realized. What has God given you? He's given you the gospel, given you the Holy Spirit, given you spiritual gifts. How are you investing those for his glory? Like someone hiding on the sidelines saying, I don't really want to play this game. Or are we allowing God to use us in a mighty way? I remember we were headed back from North Carolina when our children were younger, a good bit younger, headed down the interstate, just so happened to be a race in Charlotte, North Carolina, NASCAR race. We weren't planning to go. It was a Saturday. I knew we had church on Sunday. And so we're going to drive right by where the speedway is. We're going to just keep on trucking. Hopefully the traffic won't be too bad when we get there. And my phone rings. And uh, some of you know my friend Marvin Reed. He was on the phone and he said, those of you who know Marvin, you know how he talks, hey, what are you doing? I actually said, where, where are you at? Well, we're driving down the interstate on the way back home, almost to the track. I'm selling funnel cakes. Got a funnel cake trailer here at the track. I could use Tina's. Tina had helped him with this before. I could use Tina's help. We're probably going to keep on driving at this point. Then he says this. I've got two infield passes that you and Kent can have. <laughs> huh. What do y'all want to do? And uh, bless Tina's heart, she said, yeah, I'll work in the funnel cake trailer so y'all can take the infield passes. And uh, I think they put Karis to work in the funnel cake trailer too, but that's not legal, so I didn't tell you that. Um, but anyway, we, we get off the track. I mean, we get off the, the, it was a track. We get off Interstate 85. We make our way over to the racetrack. Kent and I get our infield passes. It's still well before the race. They're doing all the pre-race interviews and all that stuff. And Kent and I are kind of snooping around and, I'm looking for a shortcut. We had been looking for a restroom. Obviously, if Kent's with me, we were looking for a restroom, right? Sorry, but 
we picked on him this weekend about that. My apologies. Um, we're, we're sneaking around, and, and, and we went somewhere we probably weren't supposed to be, but I thought it would be a shortcut, and we come to a little rope, and we can't pass this rope. And then we see, the first one was who, Kent, that walked by? Rusty Wallace, okay. I don't, I don't remember which one was first. I just know about 15. We, we were standing where the drivers were walking from their pits area over to the media center, and we were the, kind of the first ones there. And when others saw, hey, you can get around there, all of a sudden the crowd's come in behind us. And, and, you know, Kent's a huge NASCAR fan, and so he's seeing all these drivers just walk right by, and, and fans are reaching over for autographs and all that stuff, and he's just a little guy then. And it's getting crazy. You know, I thought we were a little bit redneck, but it was nothing. Like, this crowd's just leaning over. They're trying to meet these drivers. Everybody wants to meet their favorite driver, and here goes Dale Jarrett. You know, I'm thinking, man, all these guys are short little guys. But he, they just keep walking by and keep walking by. And one, uh, one of these ladies that was trying to meet everybody and outreach for autographs and all of that said, um, saw that Kent was just kind of in the middle of all this and said, who's your favorite driver? Who do you want to meet? He said, my favorite driver is Jeff Gordon. Not a lot of Jeff Gordon fans out here, Ken. <laughs> my favorite driver is Jeff Gordon. And she kind of got, she was a tough young lady, and she kind of got everybody's attention. She said, hey, now we've been leaning over this little kid trying to get autographs. When Jeff Gordon comes through here, we all make sure this little boy meets Jeff Gordon. So Jeff came by, they all yelled, hey, and all the fingers pointed toward Kent. And he got to meet Jeff Gordon, shake his hand, and all this. It was cool. Jeff was like, hey, I met my favorite driver. And, and that was a cool, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't say, hey, Marvin, no, we're heading on home. Um, because he was like, hey, I met my favorite driver. I started thinking about when we were worshiping this morning. We are singing about standing in the presence of Christ. And the Spirit of God convicted me, we don't get it. We don't get it. What it's going to be like one day when we wake up in the land of glory. We, we just don't get it. I can tell by the lack of enthusiasm we have about that. I can tell by the lack of effort we give in investing our talents and our resources looking forward to that day. Because one day we're going to be standing in glory and there's going to be people like the Apostle Paul and Abraham and Daniel and Jeremiah and Matthew walking by and we're going to be like, man, I can't believe that I'm here. But we're going to have our heart set on meeting one and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we meet Him face-to-face, it's going to outshine everything else and everybody else we could ever meet. And at that moment, I don't think we'll be saying out loud, well, I hope I hear the well-done, good, and faithful servant. I think we'll hit our face in the presence of holiness. But I'll tell you, I surely don't want to hear him say, you wicked, lazy slave. I gave you something told you invested i put you in that local church trinity baptist church and said here's how you do body life you find out what i've given you and what i've gifted we and you put it to work for my glory and you didn't do anything you did nothing with it we're going to be overwhelmed by his presence will we hear him say well done good and faithful servant or will we hear him say wicked well truth of the matter is if the latter is true that's not where we're going to hear his voice. If the latter is true, what I believe this parable is teaching, the reason a lot of people don't do anything with it is because they didn't really have the real thing to start with. 
Because look how he closes this story. He says, And throw this good-for-nothing slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Could it be this morning that we're not doing anything with the gospel, not doing anything for the kingdom, because we can't give away what we don't have? We don't have the real thing living inside of us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray that you would reveal to them what it is you've given them. The gospel. Godliness through the spirit and the word. Spiritual gifts. Great opportunities and great responsibilities. Jesus, we believe you're coming again. May we be found faithful investing what you've given us. Not that we will strut in heaven bragging about what we accomplished because, Lord, it's you that does the work in us and through us. Lord, you're at work in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. I just pray that we would submit to that process. Give everything that we have for your glory, seeking first the king and his kingdom. Lord, sometimes we may feel like we're taking a chance, being risky. Instead of good stewards, when we start to do something. Lord, I pray that you would set us free to live by grace. Father, I had, I'd rather mess up trying to give it my best than to play it safe and never do anything for the glory of God. Help us to live by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this song of invitation. If this morning you would say, I believe that I'm one of those. I can't give away what I don't have. I want to receive Christ as my Savior, my King. Would you come this morning and say, Pastor Robbie, I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one who would say, you know what?